Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Rozeal and this is the show where I get to talk about sports, I get to talk about business, and I get to talk about everything in between. Today, my incredible guest, I have Leah Vallette. She's a senior coordinating producer at the NFL Network, formerly with ESPN and the Big Ten Network. Leah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Glad that kickoff happened successfully and the season's ready to go. We're underway, finally. We are, it's amazing. We are underway. <laughs> I mean, you work for the NFL Network. That's got to be one of the coolest jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, who here doesn't love football? Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going around with football and the political nature mm-hmm. of it. I don't want to get into any of that because I got to watch football yesterday, and I'm going to watch a lot of it this Sunday as well. But Leah, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, mm-hmm. why do you love sports so much? Well, I think it's just because it's been ingrained in me as just a little kid. Um, Grew up playing sports with my brother and his friends. Grew up watching sports on television. And then started playing, you know, in high school and didn't play in college. But um, just, you know, kind of a great way to get away from reality, (laughs) but um, also stay fit. And um, just to have a passion for it, too. Um, we had season tickets when I was probably like seven years old. We had season tickets to the Raiders at the Coliseum. And wow. so my dad, yeah, my dad would take us um, every, you know, every other Sunday, every home game to Raiders games for like three or four straight years. So that's, that's when I became a fan with the NFL. And then also my love for baseball, too mainly because I played softball growing up, but um, I also, you know, and we'll probably get into it, what the, my first job, like professional job was, um, which is pretty, pretty exciting, but we'll get to that in a minute. I'm sure. Um, But all sports. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not? Right. It's competition. I just want to see the best people compete in their sport. I don't care what sport it is. If it's yeah. soccer, if it's baseball, softball, I always watch the NCAA softball um, tournament every single nice. year. Obviously this year it uh, doesn't look like, you know, we'll see what happens yeah. this upcoming year. Last year, unfortunately didn't happen, but I always love those. There was that Florida, Oklahoma game that went like 19 innings or whatever yep. it was a couple years ago. I watched yep. every single second of it. It was incredible, but uh, you, you bring up the Raiders. So I'm kind of curious. So where were the Raiders? Was this LA? Was this Oakland? Where where were you when mm-hmm. you were going to these games? Los Angeles. Uh, so I grew up in Bakersfield, California. So it's two hours north of LA. So yeah, they were in LA at the time. Uh, so they played awesome. at the Coliseum. And so yeah. which, which teams were these? Were these were these uh, the Flores? Okay. Oh no, they're Los Angeles Raiders. Yeah. So no, no, no. I mean, was, like, um, which year? Which oh, years was I, Marcus I Allen? You are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Marcus Allen, the Flores, Coach Days, uh, Plunkett, like, yeah, those those So the heyday, pretty much. Like, you you got the best. So that's an easy way to start loving a sport, right? Especially when the team that you root for is pretty damn good. Um, I remember pretty much the first Giants team I started rooting for. I mean, I was like, hey, the New York Giants, they play in New Jersey, so I'm going to root for them. But the first year I really, really started to care was um, my parents dropped me off at my grandmother's house and the Giants beat the undefeated Broncos. I think the Broncos were 13-0 at the time um, mm-hmm. on their way to one of the Super Bowls, if I'm not mistaken. So that's when I was like, oh, this is cool. And then obviously 2000, they got throttled in the Super Bowl, but they made it to the Super Bowl, which I thought was pretty cool. So it's young kids, yeah. man. We always, 
we just love rooting for uh, the uh, the favorites. It's kind of funny. Well, and you brought up the Broncos, and they're actually my favorite team now. So no John Elway changed the game for me big time. I mean, a guy that can play, they got drafted by the Yankees, so he could have played Major League Baseball or he could have played football, and, you know, from Stanford. So he chose football and, you know, just – obviously dominated finally got his world championship rings that he deserved well deserved but um yeah he's he's one of the main reasons why I, I became a broncos fan but a lot of people are like uh you went from raiders to broncos like how dare you how could you um but with elway i don't know kind of made it easy i, I felt like i was kind of forced to like the raiders because my okay. dad had season tickets so finally, when I got to pick, like, oh, okay, what team do you want? Do you want? My brother's like, you have to pick a team. I'm like, okay, I kind of like John Elway. Why don't Why don't we go with the Broncos? So I like that. Anyway. So my mom, my parents did the exact same thing. My mom's a huge Dolphins fan because of Dan Marino. My dad's a big Chargers fan because of Dan mm-hmm. Fowler. Uh, so pretty much the exact mm-hmm. same thing. But I was forced to like the Mets. So jokes on me, I guess there because I'm still a pretty big uh-huh. Mets fan. Yeah. So you're a Giants fan and a Mets fan. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so Linda Cohn, who mm-hmm. a legend at ESPN, she's got the same allegiances, and, and she's from, I believe, New Jersey, but she likes the Giants, and the Mets are her favorite favorite baseball team. But isn't usually like the Giants and the Yankees or the Jets? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky. Thankfully, I didn't pick the Jets because I have friends that are Giants and Mets or Jets and Mets fans. Um, and Islanders okay. fans too. So it's just like just continuously being pummeled by just yes. you know, stupid franchises doing stupid things. So I, I at least got a little happiness yes. with the Giants and Eli a couple times, yeah. which was pretty great. But the Mets, man, I, they're my favorite thing on planet Earth, and all they ever do is love to let me down. So we're we're here to talk about football. <laughs> we're here to talk about you. We don't need to talk too much more yes. about the Mets. Okay. And so I do want to talk about. So as you said, you, your your love of baseball growing up not too mm-hmm. far outside of California, California, out of Los Angeles, your first job, as you said, your first professional job, and I'm going to use a little bit of air quotes there. You, you, you can tell me how <laughs> wrong I am, but you're a ball girl for the Padres. How the heck yeah. do you land one of those positions? Cause I feel like they probably have thousands and thousands of kids apply every single year. Yeah. And the key word you just said there was kids, right? So when I tell people, Oh yeah, I was a ball girl for the Padres. They were like, Oh, what were you like 15? And I was like, no, I was like 20. Oh, no <laughs> in way. In college. <laughs> oh, yeah. See? <laughs> you got me. So, um, I, was at, I was at San Diego State, and uh, I was playing on a, a co-ed softball team with guys that worked in the Padres ticket office. And a couple of the, of the women were leaving to go to um, different colleges. And so, and, you know, I mean, they were, like, younger. But I was like, oh, and they're like, you know, we are kind of – in college and stuff, normally we'd ask like high school, but would you be interested? And I was like, yeah. So I literally had to go to Jack Murphy stadium at the time before it was Qualcomm and take grounders and literally like try out and ended up making the squad. We had uh, four of us ball girls and we would rotate every other game. And um, it was amazing. It was like 1997 through about 2000. Um, so I ended up actually in 98 working a World Series game, which was amazing. Whoa. We got swept That's against cool. the Yankees. But Who cares? Whatever. You're still just there. Just to be able to, in front of 75,000 fans and run out with all the players and have your name announced and all that stuff. So that was pretty cool. Um, but it was, it was fun. I mean, we got paid. We got paid like 60 bucks a game. 
We got free sunflower seeds, bubble gum, um, and we got four tickets for homestand. So oh, wow. I know it was amazing. It was amazing. And uh, we didn't have to wear like the full uniform either. We could wear like shorts or, you know, athletic pants or whatever. We didn't have to, and we didn't have to wear a helmet at the time. Like that wasn't a rule. So it was, it was, it was pretty awesome. Definitely. That's, one that's one of the great. highlights after 25 years in this business, still probably the highlight of, I mean, of, working, uh, my working world series career. game, working a world series game just sounds absolutely yeah. fantastic. That must've been so cool. I've been yeah. to one world series game, the the one, the Mets won actually, which I'm very grateful for. And just the energy nice. in the stadium. Did you, did you grow up a Padres fan? I mean, you're from LA, so I have to assume Dodgers, but I grew up a Dodgers fan. Padres? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, it didn't really matter to you. It was probably fun to work for him, but still, I mean, being yeah. there and just feeling that energy must have been insane. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. That's no, so no cool. regrets there. <laughs> I mean, I to be able to it. literally sit on the bench like before every game, and we would just we'd go out and warm up in the outfield, shag some balls for batting practice, and then we would literally sit on the bench until the starting pitcher took the mound, and then we'd run to our positions. So I'd be sitting, you know, next to Tony Wentz talking about hitting or Kevin Brown talking about pitching or, you know, Steve Finley, like, you know, taking certain angles on the ball in center field and how, you know, certain, you know, pitch like signs that he watches to make adjustment. Like it was just, it was literally situations like that you kind of take for granted. Um, But now like looking back, I'm like, Oh my God, I was probably like one of the luckiest humans. Um, who, who actually love baseball to be in that position. So it was awesome. Yeah, that is incredible. I will say, I don't believe in luck. You worked hard and you got there. Uh, I'll say that, but getting to hang out <laughs> with Tony Gwynn is pretty darn cool. Just I mean, asking him about hitting. I mean, obviously rest in peace, Tony Gwynn, very, very disappointing, yes. uh, uh, you know, but at the same time, so, so cool that you got that opportunity and Kevin Brown, everyone always yeah. forgets about how good Kevin Brown was. So it's, it's kind of disappointing for that guy, but um, no, that must've just been yeah. so much fun. And so, so you, you started this when you were 20, you said, right? So at what mm-hmm. point before this or after this or during this, did you decide that, you know, you, it would be kind of cool to stand up in front of a camera and, uh, you know, start talking sports in some <laughs> capacity to people like where, where along the timeline did that happen? Yeah, well, that was short-lived. Um, I thought that I wanted to be in front of the camera. You know, I would see all the time um, local reporters out there doing hits and live shots and all that stuff. So I was like, oh, is this something that I could possibly do? Would I want to do something like this? And then I actually tried it a couple times, and I was awful. And so um, I just – people are like, where's Leah? Like, where is she? Like, the camera turns on, and you freeze up. And I'm like, well – that's, I, I, I don't, I do not know. Like, maybe I shouldn't worry, like think about being in front of the camera and just learn the behind the scenes stuff. And so once I learned a little bit of behind the scenes stuff, it was an easy transition. And I was very fortunate to get my first job right out of college with the company, the network that actually produced all the Padres games, Channel 4 San Diego. Um, before Anchorman, there was a Channel 4 San Diego uh, owned by Cox Communications. Um, but they did, you know, 162 Padres games and, uh, hired me, you know, I made, you know, networks and made relationships with a bunch of the people that worked there. So that was, I was super lucky. That was my first job in the industry right out of college, which was awesome. That is an awesome, awesome job to have too, considering you were already kind of working with the Padres for the Padres in some capacity, yep. you know, you can 
you know exactly where you're going. You know exactly how to do it. So I guess, you know, unfortunate that your uh, time in front of the camera was short lived. I will say, you know, if you do it a couple of times, you get a lot better at it. It sounds like uh, it was just something that wasn't quite for mm-hmm. you. I love it. I love looking at myself in the camera. So I guess. <laughs> but um no i mean I th- well you have a great voice too my voice Thank is you. like high and nerdy whatever your voice is like on point and conversational and all that good stuff so well it, it's right only taken me uh it's only taken me about two years and about 400 of these to get kind of good at it so don't <laughs> worry I, I still got a while to go but i appreciate that the kind words of course and and so you yeah. know it, it is really interesting though like saying hey i want to be in front of the camera and then just kind of like saying, oh, no, actually, I want to be behind the camera. Was there ever any interest in behind the camera work before? Like, is that something you wanted to go to college for? Or is it, were you just interested in the dynamic of television and and kind of how that works? Because that's just because you want to be in front of it. I don't want to be behind the camera at all, to be totally honest with you. So kind of curious where that love of uh, that interest comes from. Well, I was a speech communications major, and I knew that I wanted to do something in sports. And initially I wanted to work for a team, like in their communications department, PR department, marketing department. But then once I was like on the field and started meeting people on the TV side, I'm like, wow, I can actually make a career out of this as well, like in the TV world. So, and I I got to see like a lot of like producers, the, the creativity of their jobs. And so that was, was, was an interest. Plus, you know, at the end of the day, and whatever we do, you have to be passionate about it, right? I know it sounds corny, but it is 100% why we're doing what we're doing today. Um, and why I've been in this industry for 20 plus years, um, that we're lucky enough to be extremely passionate about what we do every day. So it was kind of an easy transition. And then um, just internships, um, more so than any classes that I took at San Diego State, it was the internships of you know, working at the local TV stations. I worked in radio for a little bit too, to kind of find out the behind the scenes stuff and how it works. So that was extremely valuable in in getting into the industry. That is awesome. And yeah, it worked. It worked very well. Because as you said, you've been here for 20 plus years doing your thing now working at the NFL Network. Again, we have Leah Vallette, senior coordinating producer at the NFL Network. We uh, we were talking when we were off air. Leah was sending some emails. Did anybody did anybody answer those emails yet? Uh, Yes, we we got it. Okay. All right. I was going to say, we yep. might have to make some heads mm-hmm. roll. Uh, I've never done that live, but hey, I'm willing to do whatever <laughs> you need me to do, Leah. I promise you that. So We got with, it. Um, good. We'll get to that a little bit later. So I was just kind of curious again, okay. maybe maybe make some heads roll. So you're behind the camera. <laughs> you, you start loving that aspect of the job. As you said, you're very passionate about it. The one thing you said before is, you know, you, you worked at Channel 4, San Diego. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in, you I don't remember. What is the line from Anchorman? Whatever. I can't even remember what it is anymore. But Stay classy, uh, San Diego. Hey, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I hope. Well, I guess it was before the movie. Never mind. We'll get off that topic. But you said 162 (laughs) games. They produced and and you had 162 games. That's a lot of games. Because my favorite part about baseball is the grind. This season's kind of weird. It's kind of stupid because we're Mm -hmm. making inferences on 30 games and saying, well, the season's halfway over. It's like, well, the Yankees, I'm confident if it was 162, they'd end up with 90 wins. They'd end up above 500 and we'd have nothing to worry about but we're seeing in a very small sample size you know these guys that hit 235 for 30 games it's not that big a deal over 162 but it's a huge deal over 60 how did you get involved 162 games in 180 185 days whatever it is 
Yeah. Was that a boon in the beginning, especially coming right out of college, you know, kind of, you know, not too much responsibility, hanging out, having a good time. And now it's bam, this is your first real job, you know, get yeah. ready because you're going to be worked to the bone. How did like a, that weeds out a lot of people in the sports industry, especially the live aspect of it and working mm -hmm. game days and things like that. How did you kind of deal with that right off the bat in, you know, understanding that, you know, weekends, see you later, you know, weddings and funerals. Sorry, guys, can't make this one. How did you deal with that aspect of it? <laughs> Well, it's very interesting, and I and I, I go back to the passion of it, and um, I'm like, God, what else can I do? I want do I want like an office job, you know, um, or do I want to love what I do? So it was kind of a decision early on that you're right. You like I had to give my my nights up. <laughs> I had to give holidays up, um, weekends, um, all that stuff. But I just knew and it never was really an issue like my family members didn't really get it um even being like major sports fans they still were like but you get christmas off right and i'm like well maybe <laughs> i might have to work a bowl game because we also um did a aztec sports weekly show um so if they were in bowl games that after christmas but anyway so all all major holiday and then at night again so if anything i saved money because i had zero life <laughs> so it was that part was was good but um i just think like I, I never really thought about the social aspect of giving things up it was more of gosh how lucky am i to do something that i that i truly love every day and um you know to get to be around you know people that you idolize and i mean some of the best in the game that you cover um to be able to interview tell stories and all that stuff. So um, I did, um, I have to give a shout out to Jane Mitchell, who was one of my, men my mentors at Channel 4 San Diego. She did this great series called One-on-One -on -One with Jane Mitchell. And they were our programs with, um, and she would go really in depth, like from childhood photos and interview high school coaches and kindergarten teachers and all that stuff. So one of my first one-on-ones was with Ted Williams and got to meet wow. Ted Williams and, and sit down with Ted Williams and talk to Ted Williams, not only about baseball, but about fishing, because he was very passionate about fishing and just the stories that he had. I'm getting chills right now thinking about it. But when that was like one of my first assignments and to see that from the beginning, to be in the process of all the interviews, gathering all the information and pictures and stuff. I was a production assistant at the time and then seeing that come to fruition and it winning, you know, local Emmy awards and all that stuff was pretty cool. So that, that, no pun intended with the fishing talk, but that hooked me um, into this industry. Um, and then, yeah. It's a, a history from pretty there. Pretty good first guest. Yeah. yeah, that's a pretty incredible one. Yeah. I will say my first guest yeah. was not Ted Williams, unfortunately. But <laughs> we're getting a little bit closer every day. And now that I know you, now that maybe, you know, uh, you can connect me with, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes. That'll be a cool one. But until then, but until then, we have some time. We have I'll some try. time. So, with um with with starting at a, a local station a lot of the ways that i have heard at least in the industry with people on the camera in front of the camera working the camera is you have to move around a lot you have to go to a lot of different places yeah. and you have to kind of you know that's the way you can really get to the higher heights in the industry how did mm -hmm. you go about that because i know you know as i said before work for espn the big 10 network obviously now working for the nfl network but 
How did you yeah. get to ESPN? How many stops in between Channel 4 San Diego and ESPN were there where you had to move to, I think I was just talk, speaking to another gentleman, Billings, Montana, or you know Topeka, Kansas, yeah. before you could finally make it over to Bristol and work at the yeah. mothership? Well, um, call it luck, good timing. I don't know. Maybe I was nope. okay at my job at the time. But um, so I was at Channel 4. <laughs> don't believe in luck. I was at Channel 4 for six years. Uh, again, that was my first job out of college. So I started as a production assistant, then got promoted to associate producer, then producer. So I was producing magazine shows. I was producing pregame shows out of the truck for the Padres and postgame shows. And um, I just, ESPN posted a position for a studio producer. And um, I went and, and to Bristol and I interviewed for it and ended up, you know, not telling anyone at work or anything. Um, but quite frankly, I had kind of hit my ceiling. I knew that I hit mm-hmm. my ceiling and I knew that I wanted to, you know, go on to a national network. Um, and so I interviewed for a studio producer position, not really knowing totally what that entailed. Um, but the interview process was very, like I had eight interviews in a day and it was, it was crazy, but ended up getting the job at ESPN. So I, you know, I was very like, you know, this is my first job. Like I, I, you know, I felt like I was going to disappoint my boss by telling him I was leaving. And, you know, you work for amazing people. And Dennis Morgino was my, my, the executive producer. And I went into his office and I said, you know, I can't, I I just love obviously working here. I've grown so much. Um, But I do have to tell you that I accepted the position at ESPN in Bristol and, um, you know, pretty studio shows. And, and I was expecting him to be like, oh, man, like what? Like, okay, like why? He stood up and get over here and he gave me a big hug. And he's like, I'm so proud of you. Um, so get a little emotional thinking about it because um, it really was a family environment there. And I mean, that place just, I learned so much and I was surrounded by a lot of talented people. And so that's why I say that I was lucky. I mean, you create your own opportunity, but I also was very lucky to work with such quality people, talented people that literally were your cheerleaders along the way. So um, everyone was, when I thought people were going to be like so sad and like, oh gosh, people were just like, this is amazing. You're making it to the big time, big time or whatever, you know, then it finally hit me like, okay, I made the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- this is kind of the second step in my career, but obviously the right step and to go from San Diego to Bristol, Connecticut, like, like you have to really love what you do. Yep. So, um, it was a great, great opportunity and from there kind of propelled the rest of my career. So and, important, and what, important what, step. What is that like going from that local station? Now again, San Diego, it's not like it's a small city it's not like yeah. people don't know what this city is you're, you're, you're starting at something but what is it like I guess mentally going from knowing that hey I'm getting in front of you know Padres fans and Aztecs fans today this is going to be fun to now you're doing national broadcasts and now it's yeah. millions and millions of people paying attention yeah. like how was that something yeah. that got you flowing or is that something that you, I mean obviously you didn't shy away from it because you continue to do it but like what was it like at least at first yeah um it was a I don't want to say intimidating. I was, I was excited the whole time. Like there was no intimidation factor because I've never really thought about how many people are, are like watching your product. 
because if you do, you kind of get caught up and stressed and worried about that. I, I just try to concentrate on doing my best and putting the best product out there and thinking what the viewer wants to see um, versus like how many people are actually watching. So it was, it, it really hit me when I, I, um, I started off doing ESPN news for a couple months and then um, got promoted to actually produce the 1am sports center which at the time was the show of record. There was no West Coast operations yet. So um, that was the show. So we were on at, you know, 1 a.m. And uh, I would get home at like 3 or 4 a.m. But um, anyway, that was kind of like a, wow. And, and you're covering every single sport. You're dealing with breaking news. You're dealing with a ton more sponsorships. And you're dealing with, and again, I love them all, but you're dealing with, more egos than you're really used to dealing with with talent. Um, again, love them all, still very good friends of mine. But, you know, it, 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 it takes a certain person to be able to do that every night, um, something that I couldn't do. Um, but and to work with kind of the best people in the biz uh, was pretty humbling, but also rewarding at the same time. Yeah, because that means you're one of the best people in the biz, right? Like they don't they don't just hire anybody well, there. I mean, it's pretty impressive. No, it's true. It's true. I I gotta tell you, um, I learned a lot. Um, I was kind of in a good way thrown into the fire, um, and, and you know, at a certain point, you know, I was true with myself, and I think the company was true with me, and they basically said, listen. 1am sports center is great, but we need to get you more into the, the live stuff. Cause a lot of the stuff we would have would be taped or the highlights would be over. We need, we need to get you in the live environment of reacting versus like already knowing what's in the can, you know? And, and so then they put me on um, baseball tonight, uh, NFL live, um, and then um, wanted to really get into more live events. So I ended up doing wraps for live events which is the closest studio thing you could do in the live event world. Um, when I was at ESPN, there were pretty much two different worlds. You were either in studio or you were in live events and there was no crossover. They have since fixed that and there is a lot of crossover, but the only way at that time to get into live events was to do wraps, which was a little bit below my skill level, but I wanted to be in that environment and put myself in the position to possibly go into live events. So, what, which helps me later. What is a uh, so it's it's yeah so halftime and post game okay like a pregame like if 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 there's a basketball game and it's a 05 tip um we'll come to the studio for two minutes and then you send it out to site then they come to you for halftime and then they come to you to either bridge in between games or do like a post game show wrap yeah yes wrap okay cool just want to make sure <laughs> all on the same page all on the same yes. page that's, yeah that's pretty cool and so it, like why did they so as you said before it was kind of broken up into like you know the the, the sharks and the jets it sounds like almost a little bit and so why yeah. did they think why did they want you to make was it a you thing was it like the culture was changing that they wanted everybody to start kind of crossing over like what was it about that time period that they really wanted to start to integrate you into the live the more live events yeah i think it was more of what i wanted to do versus what they wanted me to do um there was there wasn't anyone that was doing both um trendsetter and yeah that actually well a little bit i mean i wasn't doing the live events like producing yet i was doing the studio stuff still, so i wasn't totally in it 
Um, and then I ended up leaving um, to come back home to deal with the family matter um, and working at Fox Sports. And that's where I got really into the pre and post, you know, for Lakers, Dodgers, I mean, all the LA teams out of production trucks and getting the feel of that and stuff. So it kind of propelled me into that, to, to that next position in a weird way. Mm-hmm. But at the time there had just not really been like, you're either a studio producer or you're a live events producer and the two worlds never really clashed back in the day. Now it's a totally different story. Like if you can't, if you can't produce a live game and a studio show, then you're not going to have a job pretty much mm-hmm. anymore. That's, you have to be extremely flexible, especially what we're doing now in the remote, remote environment because of COVID and stuff. So yes, and um, I'm excited to talk about anyway. that. I do want to stick on this topic for a little bit longer, though. Like, what is yeah. like? Why was it back in the day you couldn't, or you you really? I don't want to say allowed, but like, why were people kind of stuck in either live or studio? Like, what what is the difference with those two things? As you say, you need to be flexible nowadays yeah. to make sure you can get a job. What are the really big differences that maybe someone like myself not yeah. really understanding what's going on, but kind of can seeing it on the TV? Like, what 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 will be some of those differences? So I'll just take you through like quick preparation of both types of yep. shows. So like for a studio show, you have a rundown and you stack the rundown with all of your stories. You talk to your analysts, you get, you know, the tapes that they want um, to talk about. So everything's pretty much structured. Live event, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you can have, you know, the only thing that's scripted is basically you're open to the show and any sponsorships that you have to get in. Mm-hmm. Everything else, you're just reacting and reacting and reacting. We're more in a studio environment. You're planning and you're building off that. The only time that those two worlds kind of collide is in a breaking news situation. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a studio show, you have breaking news, then you have to think on your feet like, okay, what guest am I going to get on? What should the graphics say? You know, how, how are we going to move this conversation forward in the moment? Um, where when you're producing a live game, you're always in the moment. You have to be. And you have to be forward thinking in that moment too. Like if someone, you know, scores like 12, 12 points in basketball, you're, you're looking at your EVS tape guy and you're saying, okay, build a package on that player. Graphics, you know, how many times has this player scored the first 12 points, you know, in a game mm-hmm. before, whatever. Like So you're constantly, you're in the moment and you're documenting the moment, but you're also looking ahead on how to tell storylines where in a studio environment, it's more just kind of all like in front of you. Sometimes what I want to do to some of our studio producers is in the middle of a show, just turn off the rundown in the NPS and say, go, go. like, go, like figure it out. <laughs> but uh, that would be kind of mean. So don't, don't want to do that. You got, you got to. <laughs> got to work with it right i mean that honestly right. the live sounds like so much more fun um that just sounds like it's just so much more yeah. obviously a little a, more risk reward right i think that part is, yeah. is pretty pretty interesting but that just sounds like so much fun just kind of on your feet thinking consistently mm-hmm. constantly and really just trying to understand as you said like really trying to tie everything together that storytelling aspect in real time while documenting yeah. it is pretty darn cool so so you went from studio to more of this live aspect as you said you then went back from espn you moved back to california as you said for a family Mm -hmm. matter and that's where you started working with fox is that your time at the big 10 is that that when no so that was between there was there was step in between and so went to fsn west prime ticket 
um, and did some remote stuff and then um, made a quick little move to Masson, Mid-Atlantic Sports Network in Baltimore. Um, okay. And was in charge of all the, the pre and post game shows there, <laughs> which let me tell you, to do a pre and post game show for Orioles and Nationals when they weren't very good, um, that was very challenging. Um, but this is, this is the great part. So you never burn bridges, right? So um, when I was at Masson, um, ESPNU called uh, out of Charlotte and they said, we are looking for a hybrid producer. We've known that we know that, that you have done both, that you tried to do both in Bristol. We are looking for mainly a studio producer, like 80% and 20% live events. Um, would you be interested? And I was like, yes. Okay, so awesome that you're developing this position. Um, and yeah, so went to Charlotte, North Carolina, worked at ESPNU, started out doing a lot of studio shows and a little bit remote. And then when I left there for the for Big Ten Network, I was doing probably 90% uh, remote live events and probably 10% studio. Um, so is it is it harder to do the live events when you are remote? Right. Like, cause I've been in those trucks before, like when they're on site is like, is, is there mm -hmm. any difference? I mean, it's a dark truck and just kind of a bunch of people just in there yeah. doing what they need to do, but have, is, is there any difference doing it remote versus actually being on site? There's not, I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing is that, you know, if, if your challenges are like, normally we would go to shoot around or, you know, meet with the coaches or whatever, you're having to do that on the phone, you know, mm -hmm. and you're not able to see practice and stuff like that um if your analysts or talent are at the game versus you know the face-to-face -face when you're both at a game in a, in a production truck um so that's probably the biggest difference i i think it's easier for the production side of things i think it's definitely harder for um play-by-play -play and analysts to be in a room you know two thousand miles away from where the event is being played so um, I know that that's what a lot of networks are doing right now and have been doing. Um, that's something that Big Ten Network started and then um, other networks have followed suit. But um, it's cost effective. Those production trucks are expensive. <laughs> yes. yes. And, I mean, let's face it. If you're, if you're doing just like a ho-hum, you know, not to you know, pick on the Big 12, but if it's like a... Say. Who are we going to, is, like, is it like Iowa, Iowa it, state? Like, what are we doing today? Yeah, something like that. I mean, that was my, that, that was my pretty much for like three years when I was at ESPNU, uh -huh. that was my gig to uh, Wednesday night, big 12 men's basketball package. So I've been to Ames, Iowa. I've been to the little apple in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. um, I've been to Stillwater, you know, I've been to all the places I've been to Lubbock. Um, so, so anyway, so it's like, does that make the most sense? for just a random Wednesday, unless, you know, they're ranked in the top 25, but yeah, exactly. College basketball, college basketball shouldn't have rankings until like the last two weeks of the season. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, yeah, Duke, Duke should just be number one. Everyone else yes. can be below them and we're good to go. Yes, exactly. Um, so anyway, does that make most sense, more sense than literally reducing it by half or more than half to, I, I'm a big like firm believer if you can have talent on site that's amazing and technically you can figure it out and if it's cost effective great because i think it does make a difference but the production crew and staff they could do everything that they would have done on site in a nice confined control room and oh by the way it helps on costs of travel 
and hotel rooms and all that stuff too. So there's, there's a bigger picture on why pretty much every single network has this uh, set up now. Yeah. And it makes sense. Again, it's one thing if it's, you know, Kansas, Kansas State on that Wednesday night where Kansas is ranked in the top five and yeah. Kansas State, you know, kind of knocking on the door of the top 25. But yeah, sorry, if it's Iowa State, Kansas State, I don't think too many yeah. people are going to be angry if the producers don't have just the most perfect information. So still going to watch the game, yeah. whatever. But like, it definitely makes sense, again, if you can save, because, you know, you think how many people are in a projection truck, like 12, 15? Mm-hmm. About, yeah, 15. Times a yeah. uh, round trip ticket. Like that's yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of them. A lot of them. Besides, like the producer, the AD, sometimes is local, the director, but all the technical positions usually. Um, the graphics producer, not, but like tape, um, EC. Oh, sorry, electric audio, uh, technical director, the person pushing the buttons to get the pictures on TV. Um, those people are usually local hires. Okay. Um. The big, the big productions, they'll, they'll travel people, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And, and, and you never know. I mean, I, I was lucky enough, I believe it was 2011 when TCU played Kansas, Kansas is number four in the country and, um, TCU upset Kansas. And that was, I mean, we were just like, wait, what? Like the score at halftime was like 21 to 19. And we we're like, wait, mm-hmm. what could, could this happen? Um, but anyway, that was like, if we had a, we, we had a production truck for it. So it was, it was all good. Awesome. That is so awesome. So, so grateful that you get to go to those types of things. So you went, so yeah. spent some time at ESPNU, then hopped over to the big 10. And then after the big 10, mm-hmm. that is where you landed with the NFL network, correct? Yes, you are correct. You're caught up. <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. Just wanted to make sure I had all my, all my timelines correct. So we're at the NFL yes. network. You are currently doing, you are the, right? The senior producer, senior coordinating producer for mm-hmm. NFL Total Access, which is the show mm-hmm. pretty much anyone that watches the NFL Network, unless it's Good Morning Football, which I love. Um, it's mm-hmm. NFL Total great Access. Show, great show. So, so it's it's one of those yeah. two shows most people watching. How cool is it? I mean, a, a flagship show, whatever we want to say. Like, mm-hmm. it, I'm not going to say you made it because I'm sure there's many more goals and there's other things that you want to do, but like how, how cool mm-hmm. is it to know that you're kind of on like one of the bigger shows in the biggest sport here in the United States? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And I, and I do have to say, I do take it for granted a lot of the time. Um, but NFL is King, right. And to be able to lead one of the, one of the shows um, that we do in and an everyday production. I mean, we're just like Good Morning Football. We are one of the only daily shows. Uh, we have a an awesome news show that's from 10 to 12 hour time called NFL Now, which is phenomenal um, as well. It's kind of a daily show. So between those three, I kind of like to, to say, you know, we're the first word that you're going to hear in football with Good Morning Football. And we're also the last because we have the luxury of having total access on at seven o'clock Eastern. So technically we are the last official daily show that's giving you all of your football news. So to be able to work at a, at a place at a network that you're able to say, okay, you're going to hear the first word in football for the day. And you're also going to, going to hear the last and be a part of that. It's pretty cool. 
That is pretty cool. And yeah, it is absolutely king here in the United States. We know. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah. Basketball playoffs are still going on. I'm going to watch every game. I think there's a game seven tonight as of recording with the Raptors and Celtics. Let's go Raptors there. But uh, yeah, football, we've all kind of just been way since all these sports came back. We've all just been like, awesome. Sports are back. That means we'll get football soon, yep. too. And we've kind of just been waiting. And here we are last night. We had the first game of the season. Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun yes. Watson. It was a cool wow. It was it was supposed to be a fun game. It was kind of a blowout for most of it. The score was not indicative of what the actual um, the 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 really the game was. I think the Texans scored two touchdowns real late, which yeah. kind of made it respectable. But it is what I it think. Is. The, I think the Texans could have used some preseason games. I think yes. the Chiefs obviously didn't need any yeah. preseason Very, games. I mean, yeah. the rich get richer. I mean, getting Clyde Alaire as their running back. I mean. When they drafted him at 32, I was like, oh, okay, is this lethal? Uh-oh. Are we are we allowing this to happen? Like, what are we doing, everybody? Um, so to be able to get that, I mean, they just, they got better, right? So they're obviously the favorites in the AFC, um, although I am taking the Ravens to go to the Super Bowl. Um, I just think it's it's their time. I think it's all going to click. I think they have a better defense than, than the Chiefs, um, and offensively, they're pretty similar. So, um Anyway, not to get too in the weeds, but you know, the Texans. Hey, I'll they, talk football. They definitely, you, you work yeah. for the NFL Network. I will talk football with you all day, Leah. Do not okay, worry. Okay, get as okay. far into the weeds as you want. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I won't get it. that far in the weeds. But, okay, you know, I, the I'm Texans just... too. I mean, do you like the, the whole David Johnson trade they were talking about? Like, how could they do that and trade D Hop? And I mean, it looks pretty good. You got. Oh, fantasy owners 20 points he didn't look too shabby there so mm-hmm. um but again they just they were you know i i thought going in was going to be floppy um but the chiefs you know started pretty slow but then the chiefs picked it up and mm-hmm. you know as long as andy reed can see out of his shield i think that I think was awesome good. oh my god that was absolutely bless fantastic his, that, that bless his laugh. heart Oh, bless his heart. Andy Reid. Gotta love him. And so, <laughs> so with that, I mean, obviously, as we can tell, we've just been waiting for football this entire time. Just waiting, just waiting, just waiting. Yeah. We had four months without sports. You having, again, working on the flagship, as you said, you're the last word of football. This is the last daily show mm-hmm. of football every single day. What the heck were you doing for like four months? Because that first month, it was like, okay, we'll still have the draft. That's so fine. It's not a big deal. We'll do the combine. I watched all the combine. I thought it was awesome putting it at night. I don't think it worked as well for the players, unfortunately, but yep. I think it's going to continue to be at night because the ratings were so darn high. So mm-hmm. six one might have to have the other. Then we had the draft, which was awesome. Then we could talk about the draft mm-hmm. for like a month. And it's still technically the off season. So it really wasn't that big a deal, but there was nothing else going on. So did it feel mm-hmm. like a weird because because it was still the off season, right? Like it's really not you weren't going to have football on that entire time. But did it feel weirder? Was there like a different kind of vibe or energy around it? Like, I mean, obviously everything with the sickness and everything going on. But how mm-hmm. did you feel about it just in terms of just daily content moving forward? Yeah, well, it really taught our network as well as many other networks um how to run efficiently and more efficiently and if anything you know always take a a bad situation try to turn it into a, a good situation and learn from it and i think that's exactly what we've done um we started off thinking about you know our, our last my last time and a, a lot of our last times in the building was right after free agency so second week of march and um, I just went back last week for the first time. 
um, to do a rehearsal. And so to be that far removed, but really not from your daily grind that you do, it's pretty remarkable. Um, a credit goes to so many people that I, you know, this would be a two hour more podcast if I had to thank everybody, but it really, not to sound cheesy, but it really has been a team effort. Um, as far as just like, okay, we still want to do a daily show. How can we do this in our remote environment? So we started off like literally pre-taping a 30 minute total access in the morning at 930 because we literally had an editor putting it together. It was all live mm. tape Ooh. stuff. Whoa. And so that took time. So, you know, the latest that we could have been done with the show was like at noon because literally they had to piece everything together together and feed it to our master control so it could make air. Um, and if we had any breaking news or anything like that, we had a news crew able to, you know, jump in live and, and update the show. So that's how we operated for almost a month. And then we knew that draft was coming up and we knew that we had to have a live presence of our pre and post game shows around the draft. Um, so we ended up hiring a company out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, that basically did a remote production for us. So the remote hub control room, everything that we would have in Culver city was in Oklahoma instead. Cause you know, with the LA ordinance, we couldn't have anyone in our, in our building. Um, so we did that for a little bit and that was great to give us just the live. And then we started doing, using that, um, company for getting back to TA live. And then we started, um, being able to allow essential workers to come into the building and work from the control rooms again and get into a groove of doing live TV, but literally four people in the control room when you normally you have like 15. Um, and then everyone else has been at home on remote. So, you know, it's developing like, how do you communicate? So it's, you know, like buying new software, the software that we use is called unity. And it literally is an intercom system that you would have in a control room that you can communicate to talent. So all talent analysts hosts have home cams. So they have these home cams and ring lights, and it's all routed to Culver City, um, where our studios are. And so that's how we're able to communicate and get people on air and everything. But um, we're all we're getting back to being, you know, allowing more people in the building. We're um, doing, you know, testing for employees, which has been awesome. Um, the safety measures that everyone from facilities has, has had to implement has been pretty amazing. So. Again, not to get too cheesy about everything, but like it really has been a tremendous uh, team, you know, mm -hmm. you know, effort. Team, team effort, situation effort. Oh, team. And, you know, with yeah. the leaks, too. I mean, to, to actually have kickoff and, and have games this Sunday is remarkable, considering where we were a month ago, two months ago. I mean, three months ago, we were, we were thinking that there wasn't even going to be a season. So. It is pretty, you know, pretty amazing what we've we've been able to accomplish. 
So it 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 is really really that. interesting. And yeah, kudos kudos and congratulations to everybody for being able to pull that yeah. off. Because I'm sure again, yeah. it's not like it's not like we had time to figure it out. And it's like, all right, this is the process. This is the structure we're going to go through. It's hey, we yeah. can't leave our houses. Okay, what do we do now? And clearly, you guys and girls over there were yep. able to. Uh, I mean, the draft was awesome, but the ratings were like just stupid how high they were because it was the first live event that like meant something to sports for a while. So that Mm -hmm. was pretty cool. And it was just um, I remember watching it and everyone being like, you know, this isn't really that bad. Like, it's kind of nice. I like spending time with my family and like, we'll see if that happens again next year because we know what the NFL is. But, um, you know, the coaches and it was kind of cool seeing in their houses and their homes and their kids and their wives. It was it was nice. It was kind of uh, it was kind of cool. So hopefully we can get some more of that behind the scenes. And and with Mm -hmm. with going remote and with seeing how I'm sure there were hiccups, I'm sure it's not perfect, but Mm -hmm. how capable the entire industry is because we've seen it right like it's not just it's not just sports that mm-hmm. went remote like i have friends that are news anchors um shout out Alyssa. she's a news anchor in el paso texas like and she has just been doing her anchoring out of her house for the however long and you know yes. her cat hops into the screen every once in a while and it's cute oh my gosh. Like it and it's not really that big a deal right it's like kind of mm-hmm. we like that you know it's a human aspect it's not like you're just kind of a you know a, just done up in a studio somewhere so Moving forward, how do you think this, you know, being in the industry for over 20 years as you have and, and knowing and understanding mm-hmm. and kind of seeing it go from, hey, your studio or your, um, you know, your live. It's like, OK, well, now that's a hybrid. It's mm-hmm. like, OK, well, we're, you know, you're working for the Big Ten Network, which is one of the first networks that decided, hey, we're going to do almost everything remote in, in terms of live games. Now you're starting mm-hmm. to see it again mm-hmm. in this aspect where studio shows are going remote, where Outside of a yeah. couple people, you know, we have sweet bookshelves, you know, we can, we have all that, that <laughs> funny stuff, especially in the beginning, everyone was trying to get all their stuff up. It's like, I like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Like, all right, man, you and everybody else. Yep. On Earth. But, but like, how, how do you think this is going to change potentially your industry of, you know, do you need 15 people in the studio? I'm sure it's a little easier, but mm-hmm. clearly, as you said, you, you guys have kind of gone out off without a hitch. Like, how do you mm-hmm. think this will change this entire television essentially television industry moving forward mm-hmm. well addition in addition to working harder in this environment you got to work smarter too right so um you, you know one thing that I, I i don't see really changing um is having our, our analysts come back into the studio um i don't think it's going to happen this season um and then as far as next season i mean we are NFL Network is moving into our NFL West Coast headquarters, which are right across the street from SoFi Stadium, where the Rams and Chargers are going to play. So we're um, ahead of schedule with that. So we're planning on moving in next summer and starting, you know, next fall will be that that will be our home base. Um, So we're going to have a lot of new bells and whistles and new studios and bigger control rooms to actually have more people but also keep in play because I'm sure we'll have to um, all the, the COVID safety precautions as well. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll keep a little bit of the remote environment that we've been doing, but then also um, we're going to have a little bit more space and, you know, just the chemistry of having, you know, talking to someone in person versus on a, you know, remote box from their home or whatever. It's, a, it's, it's a little bit of a game changer, but at the end of the day too, I think viewers just over the past five months, six months, especially sports viewers, they just want content. They want good content. They want to learn something. They want the X's and O's. 
Um, they want the storytelling. Uh, they want the conversation. They could care less if the person's in studio. And I think we as just growing up, like that's how it's been. You know, I think we think of it as, oh my gosh, if someone's not in studio, it's going to be the worst show ever. No, it really is. It, does it help a little bit? Probably. But at the end of the day, it's about information, content, what what our viewers are learning, um, and that that type of stuff. So I think I think keeping that concept will still you'll still see it. Um, but yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, I, there's just this past six months, there's no right or wrong way of doing anything. We're kind of still learning as we go. Yes. There's, a lot, there's a lot more podcasts out there, right? A lot more yes. podcasts. <laughs> there are. But the one thing that I found out, or at least that I've realized is everybody that started a podcast during the beginning of the pandemic already fell off. So mm -hmm. I have less competition. I got nothing to worry about. There. Not everyone oh. was consistent as me. <laughs> Leah, actually, you are episode Good. 200. So congratulations. Look at that. <gasps> wow. Okay. Can I ask you a and, question though? Because I, well, I've looked at some of you're only episode 200 because we had technical difficulties last time. I'll yes. say that, but yeah, well, what is your that, that was planned because I didn't want it to be 200. You knew? I, I did. You I, had, I had my AirPods. I just didn't tell you. I'm just kidding. Love it. Um, how many, and, and maybe we need to work on this a little bit. How many women have you had on a bunch in the beginning? I couldn't get okay. any on for some reason, but I want more okay. on, of course, because it's always, I mean, okay. I, I don't care who you are. If you have a good story, I want to talk to you. Um, you did bring up Linda good. Cohn. We're both Mets fans. So I, I, yeah. that's enough for an introduction. I'm totally cool with it. You let me know. But um, no, yeah. I've had a bunch on. It's awesome getting their perspective, your perspective, good. of course, in an industry that is very male dominated. Um, it's, yeah. it's good to understand kind of what you've come up through and how you've done it because you clearly killed it right from the right from the get-go you got that wow. ball girl job at the san diego padres and you were just a rocket ship to the moon from that point <laughs> forward, so. yes um, good good i just i you know there are a lot of women in sports um that are behind the scenes um that you don't nor normally see or hear and they pretty much make the productions go so just want to you know i can put you in touch with some really badass yes. women that that um, would be fantastic for your 100%. viewers. Hundred percent. I would love that opportunity. The more, the more stories, Good. the better. Let's share them all. I want to talk to everybody because as you networked a lot in the beginning, this is yeah. this is a platform that I love to use to get to talk to people, meet them, and really get to learn their story. That's why I like these longer yes. form. And I know we're a couple minutes over time here, uh, but I have a couple last yeah. questions for you. If it's okay. okay. Sure. All right. Mm -hmm. So um, we were talking a little bit about it in the beginning and kind of brought it up again. And you and I spoke a little bit about it last time as well as this, um, you know, the NFL network does get a few exclusive Thursday night games. And so mm -hmm. you obviously are a very big part of the team there. How, how much does the studio get up for something like that? Cause again, like there's only a few, you only get a couple, <laughs> obviously it's your network. It's your yeah. sport. The rest are then simulcast yeah. with Fox or, or NBC. And it's kind of, mm -hmm. you know, it gets murky where you can watch them and how you can watch them. But you get a couple, you get two. So we have this no. Thursday night and then you get two more coming out. These next couple weeks is when yeah. you guys really get to shine. How much pride mm -hmm. really does NFL network kind of take in knowing that like, Hey, the world will be watching us or the United States will be watching us tonight because this is the yeah. only place you're going to be able to get the game. It is a huge deal. And, um, something that was, I don't want to say taken from us, but you know, another thing with the pandemic was no preseason games. And usually August is our most watched month. I know that's 
it seems weird because you would think, oh, September or mm-hmm. October, especially for fantasy purposes and games and stuff. But we would have rights to games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they would be exclusively on our network, the preseason mm-hmm. games. And that's, I mean, you know, by week three, we would really start, you know, and it was, it was a great platform for us to brand our, our total access show and our other shows. Um, so that we took a really big hit just for overall awareness for, you know, all of our shows that I just mentioned and stuff, but, but just to have that live game on our air, because that's kind of the only other time besides TNS. So weeks two through four are exclusively on NFL network. They'll still be, it'll be Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and then five through the rest of the season, weeks five through the rest of the season is the simulcast on Fox. So exclusively for three weeks, we, we do have the game on our air on Thursday. So our Thursday lineups, I mean, we start early. Good morning football, NFL now. We have an early kickoff show. We have a fantasy show. Then we have kickoff to the game and then games on our air and then the post game show. So it is, um, it's a prideful day. It's also um, something that people get extra ramped up for um but it is it is pretty cool to have those exclusive games on our network and then we'll we'll get one like on christmas day um and then i think we'll get like two more exclusives after the first three mm-hmm. weeks um, yeah there's usually like a saturday anyway, one that's nfl network. Yeah, saturday one yeah, that will usually yep, when those saturday yep. ones are coming up which it's, are awesome they toss way. our way and then, you know, normally we would have, we would have um, one of the London games or international games on our air, but those yeah. aren't happening this year. So that's yeah, those 10 o'clock. Yeah. Those were, the, um, those are great too. I yeah. love those too, man. That must yeah. suck for you guys out on the West coast. Oh my yeah. goodness. Uh, yeah. Well, Hey, brutal. you love your job, right? It's one day. Yes, Come on, not this is true. Day. It's one day. Okay. It's, but, one um, day. it's football season. It, into exactly so you only get 17 weeks. Let's enjoy all of them. Of course, let's enjoy all yeah. of them. And then, so, so with that, like what, I know this specific um, this year, it is going to be a little different, right? You were telling me now you kind of you get your Thursdays off a little bit because the the, the mm-hmm. schedule with the pandemic and everything happening. So do you mind kind of mm-hmm. telling us exactly like what's changing in terms of Thursday night football this year for the NFL Network? Yeah, um, not much as far as programming, I, yeah. I would say in branding and stuff like that. So, I mean, you're still going to get all the programming leading up to kickoff. Um, and then once Fox does take over, we'll simulcast their pregame show mm-hmm. and post for a little bit, but there always will be a total access mm-hmm. post game show. Um, the, the biggest difference is that our Thursday night crew is not traveling. They're going to be doing mm-hmm. it from the studio. So it, it didn't make any sense to, cause normally the TNF crew is on site. And so we have our studio crew to wrap up, wrap up the night. So it just made sense uh, for a lot of reasons to keep yeah. the TNF crew there to do the pre and the post show with their talent and, and stuff. So it'll still be called total access, mm-hmm. but it's using the Thursday night football crew, which is cool. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes life. It's still, I mean, yeah. And I can sit on the couch and enjoy the game with a beer or a glass of wine, which I haven't been able to do ever. So. Well deserved, <laughs> very well deserved, Leo. Look at that. And then my last question: Thank you. So you brought it up, and I'm always kind of curious, how the heck does a simulcast work? Like, do you have some producers from one network and some from another? Does one just completely take over, and you guys just say send yeah. us the feed and just kind of have someone look yeah. it over? Because again, we, with something this big, uh, it, it's always very curious. I'm always curious how exactly it works. Yeah. 
we take the feed. So example last night was, um, so NBC, obviously the game was on NBC. So we did our post game show up till an hour before kickoff. And then we mm-hmm. took NBC's pregame show to kickoff. Um, we'll do that too with Fox as well. So simulcast pretty much just means we are taking the feed of Fox and putting it on our network with our own ticker. Um, but we do have say in content. I mean, we work with Fox all the time in yeah. like promoting NFL network. And, you know, it, it's better to obviously to have that simulcast because we do have a live event on our network with our branding. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, because it's Fox, majority of the people will watch, but, but still we do have that branding. So, and that's kind of what happened with draft two because of COVID. Um, so we, we took ESPN's feed, like essentially they produced everything. It was their people from Bristol and we just branded it on our, our, on our network. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of how that works. And then the other one, there's another Thursday night one with, uh, Andrea Kramer and, um, Hannah Storm, which is awesome. Amazon. Yes. So I know it has nothing to do with it, but yeah, that one I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. If you haven't heard like yes. telling your viewers just it's it's a second screen experience but i mean andrea is probably one of the most knowledgeable people in sport uh whatever i mean she's a hall of famer she's been there and done that she will get you the stories of the high school coach or or you know you're going to get you're not going to get the traditional joe buck troy aikman because granted they didn't play the game and yeah, that's I- not what, what, what their broadcast is about. It's more of the storytelling. And um, I mean, they're both just such fans of the game and passionate that it comes through, but I'm so glad you brought that up. That's, yes. that's a good example, a good example that you don't necessarily have to, had to have played the sport or been around it your entire life. You just have to um, network and, and know the stories. Completely agree. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous when people say that, uh, cause like a lot of the play by play guys don't play the sport. So I never mm-hmm. understand why it's, it's applicable to one gender, but not another, but that's a, that's another conversation. Yeah. But Leah, <laughs> this has been absolutely incredible. Leah Vallette, senior coordinating producer at the NFL network, formerly with ESPN, the big 10 network worked with Ron Burgundy for some time. Leah really appreciate your time. <laughs> Thanks so much, Michael. Congratulations on your recent nuptials. Oh. too. Thank you. I appreciate that. Where can everybody yeah. find you on the internet? I forgot. I always have to I have to remember asking that. Where can everybody find you? In case they, they're curious, want to ask um, some more questions. Uh, so at ballgirl8 for Twitter, if you want to DM. <laughs> and then it. just at, Le- at Leah Vallette for Instagram. Um, ballgirl8. Excited it. for that yeah. one. Thanks I, so much. Yeah, I, have t- TikTok. I have TikTok, but I don't know how to oh. use it really. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't have one and I'm... Don't go not going to request your friends there, but thanks, Leah. I appreciate your time. <laughs> thanks, Michael. Take care. Bye.